0: at Calvary Baptist Church Trehearne. Also, once again, uh, welcome to people with us via internet and also here in town, APM Signal. Please open your hymnals on number 389. 389. I am resolved. 389. <laughs>
1: greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the path of sin. Friends may oppose me, force may beset me, still while
2: Father, we're thankful that we have the privilege of hastening to come to Thee. We're thankful that we can set aside the busyness of daily living and we can come to Thy house and learn of Thee. Thankful that we have that opportunity, we have that freedom in this country to openly travel and to openly meet. We realize that there are countries like China where they can't do that and yet there are true born-again Christians in China who are seeking to glorify thee and seeking to honor thee in that country and we pray for them father we pray that they would be encouraged in thee and they probably are more encouraged than we are that they would be faithful and be able to help others to know the truth in these last days we continue to pray for the situation in ukraine and with russia we pray father that the christians there also would be encouraged and faithful to thee and be able to help others to come to know these are god and savior we pray for our own country where many are sleeping they're not paying attention to what's going on they're not realizing how close they are to entering into hell and that many would want to know the truth in these days of grace and see the importance of truth pray father that thou wouldst help us to be bold we pray for wisdom that we can make thy name known not here alone but also across the world we're thankful for our internet and that we can reach into other countries and we do pray for those that are listening pray that they would be uh, allowing Thee to direct them in their thoughts and that they would know thy peace and truth if there's people that are not saved that they would repent and get saved and want to glorify thee we ask thy will be accomplished in Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for Mr. Netanyahu, that he would be saved soon. We pray also for our services with the Filipinos. We pray that we could be a help to them. And we pray for the, the true churches in the Philippines, that the pastors there would be men of God who would study thy word, be grounded in the word of God, and follow thee according to thy word. May thy will be accomplished. May we glorify thee here tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to
0: 395. 395. Oh, sorry 200 uh, 393 <laughs> 393 take my life and let it be <clears throat> 393
1: <laughs> take my life Oh,
0: Seventy five, four hundred and seventy five, redeem four hundred and seventy five.
1: Give it me songs in the light. Redeem, redeem, redeem by the blood.
2: turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to spend a few weeks in looking at church history. We may do things in between as well, but we're going to look at church history. It's important for us to know why we attend the church we attend, uh, what our position should be regarding other uh, religions that are out there, and uh, to understand what is a true church. We've looked at Baptist distinctives in the last several weeks, and now we're going to look at church history. We're going to start reading at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16 through to the end of verse 20. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, What or whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremias, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? and i will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind upon earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was jesus the christ our heavenly father we are thankful again for the reminder in this passage that There's only one true head of any true church, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that he is also the foundation, he's the rock upon which any true church must be built. And we're thankful, Father, that we can know how to build the church if we will humbly submit to thee, first of all, and repent toward thee, And then trust in thy Son, Lord Jesus Christ, for salvation. And then take thy word as our absolute authority and build upon the truth. Help us, Father, that we would not allow the traditions of men to interfere with the truth. We thank thee that we can examine all things by thy word. We don't need to be arrogant. We need to be humble and accept thy word as truth. So we pray that as we look at church history that we would allow thee to direct us and see what things there are that we can learn from church history that can help us today as we face the challenges of our time, which are not new, but they are different than what we have seen in our lifetime in this country. So we pray that we would just allow thee to direct us and that we would want to glorify thee in all that is said and done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message this evening is Proper Study of Church History. Proper Study of Church History. One of the lies that has been accepted by far too many professing Christians is the universal church lie many people think that it doesn't really matter which church you go to, they're all headed in the same direction. Some have this doctrine that they promote, some have others, but they're all basically the same because they all believe in God and they all believe in Jesus Christ. Well, that's not true because unless you believe what the Bible says, your God is different than the God of creation. Your are your Jesus is different than the Jesus of salvation. We know that the Catholics believe in the universal church idea. They believe that they are the mother church and that all churches must come under their umbrella. They are looking at other groups, denominations, as separated brethren today. I was listening to a YouTube clip that was sent to me by another person, and the speaker on that clip is a very dangerous man. And he was talking about Muslims at one point, and he talked about his Muslim brethren. Muslims are not the brothers of two Christians. This man claimed to be a Christian speaker. Muslims are lost, they are the enemies of the cross. They hate Jesus Christ. They hate God. And so there's no way that we can have them as our brothers. And uh, King Ahab uh, talked about ben the one whom he should have killed as his brother, and God condemned him for that. We're not told to kill Muslims. We're not living in that time. But we certainly do not recognize anything that they have as being truthful. This man talked about Muslims and said that he had respect for them because they stand for something. Yeah, there's a lot of people that stand for something. They stand for evil. Our prime minister stands for something too. He's a promoter of illicit drugs. He's a feminist. He he hates women. And he's pro-murder of unborn children. He stands for things. But there's nothing respectful about our prime minister. And so... Men like that that are out there, and he claims to have quite a large following. So there are a lot of people that are very foolish, who are willing to listen to him and willing to accept his lies. And uh, they're being deceived and being deluded because, as he says in his own material, he says that the reason that people follow Karl Marx is because they didn't know their Bibles. Well, I would suggest that people that follow him don't know their Bibles either. And that's the dangerous place that we're at today, is there are many people who are very careless. They claim to be too busy to read the Bible, too busy to study the Bible. They don't have any interest in going to a true church. They'd rather go to a social club where they can be entertained. And the problem is that they're being led down the garden path straight to hell. So there are many groups today who believe in the universal church heresy. Calvinists believe that. United Church people believe that. Mennonites believe that. Lutherans do. There's many groups that believe, even some Baptists believe in the universal church idea. But there's no such a thing in the Bible. So we want to look at church history and see... How God has been faithful to his promise, Jesus said, I will build upon this rock, I will build my church. And in every generation, even as we look back into the time what's known in history as the Dark Ages, when the Catholics had their inquisitions, when the Catholics had great power over the governments of that time, and how that they could arrest people and imprison people and, and kill people if they wouldn't accept the Catholic doctrine. And the government just sat back and allowed it to happen. Did nothing about it, because the Catholic religion was so strong back then that it was dominant over the government. And there were people, lost people, who didn't want to buy into the Catholic doctrine who were killed, and there were also saved people who didn't, Buy into the Catholic doctrine who were killed. Some of them were tortured as they were being taken out to the stakes and they were burned publicly at the stake, and people watched them. People were so uh, hard hearted that they could stand and watch people being murdered and burned. That would be a a very um, difficult death for those people that are burned because when you are burned, you don't die immediately that fire burns at your body and eventually you will die but you don't die immediately and so it's not a a very uh, pleasant way to die but there were born again Christians who were willing to go to the stake and be burned instead of giving in to false doctrine and I wonder how many people today would be willing to do that uh, you know, we read about the Muslims now in African countries and and places like that, where they India as well, where they are really pushing their false doctrine. They're going into Christian uh, now, whether they're true Christians or not, but they're called that in the news. Going into their meeting places. And uh, today I read again that they they killed five people in this one place and a 60-year-old man, they slit his throat. That's what the Muslims are doing. That's that's this so-called peace-loving religion. Right now in Canada, Winnipeg, uh, Brandon, in Manitoba, there's a Muslim celebration going on. I think it's supposed to last three or four days. And... uh, They talk about that this is a time to spread peace, where we need to come together as people. And you know, sadly, there are a lot of people who are not Muslims right now, but they are willing to entertain these wicked, ungodly people, and willing to go to their meetings and accept the lie that they're peace-loving people. It's It's a dangerous time that we're living in. And it's important for us to know the truth and know why we stand where we stand. And we do need to stand. Because if we don't stand, then we're going to fall for one or another one of the devil's lies. He has many lies. And he knows your weakness better than you do. He knows my weakness better than I do. And so it's important, as the Bible says, that we need to draw nigh to God if we're saved and we need to walk humbly with him and not dabble in all the false religious ideas that are out there which are intended to weaken us that's their purpose to weaken those who are saved they cannot take our salvation away but if, uh, if we're weakened we have no voice and so we need the truth so the first thing we want to look at is the importance of church history. Studying church history is important. Looking back and seeing how God has led. You know, the Bible, the Old Testament in the Bible is basically a history of the nation of Israel. It starts in Genesis chapter Eleven, the last part of the chapter, and into chapter 12. And from there, all the way through the Old Testament, we have a history of the nation of Israel. We have uh, um, the beginnings of that nation in Abraham. We have the development of that nation through Isaac and through uh, Jacob. And then we have God uh, uh, promising or telling Abraham that his people are going to be In a foreign land yet for 430 years before they're going to enter into the promised land that he took Abraham to and showed him. Abraham walked in that land and uh, he buried his wife in that land. He was buried in that land and Isaac lived in that land and Jacob was uh, moved out of that land into Egypt and they spent some 400 years in Egypt. And uh, under, first of all, under peaceful reign during the time of Joseph. And then things turned sour after the death of Joseph and after the death of the Pharaoh that was alive during the time of Joseph. And the nation of Israel suffered for a a number of years under uh, ungodly Pharaohs. And uh, they suffered until God said the time is now ripe. He raised up Moses. And Moses was led by God to take the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he was chosen to lead the nation of Israel into the land of Canaan. But Moses forfeited that by disobeying God in a very important command. And he couldn't enter the land of Canaan. He died in the wilderness. And Joshua led the nation into the land of Canaan. But from there continues on the nation, uh, the, 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 the development of the nation of Israel and the kings and the troubles that they had. And we learn from that that God was well able to keep his promise that he made to Abraham, that he would bless Abraham and his descendants and he would make him a great nation and he would curse anyone that would curse uh, Israel. And the trouble that Israel faced throughout the Old Testament time was not God's fault. It was never because God could not deliver them. It was because they chose not to follow him. And when they chose not to follow him, he could not bless them. God doesn't give his pearls to the swine. In the New Testament, we see the nation of Israel rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, as their Messiah, and Jesus saying, declaring, as we read, that he's going to build his church upon himself. So we see the nation of Israel cut off at the root, not destroyed, but cut off at the root so that the nation of Israel would no longer be the, 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 the vehicle that God would use to make his name known across the world. Now he would work through this new entity called the church. And that first church was in Jerusalem. And God's design was for, as we read in Matthew 28 and in every one of the Gospels and in the book of Acts, God's design was for Christians to spread out across the world. Israel was to be a nation within the boundaries of the land of Canaan. Abraham was shown where the boundaries were. Israel was to dwell in the, within those boundaries. God was going to bless them in a land flowing with milk and honey so that all the nations around would see the blessing of God and would be drawn to God in the land flowing with milk and honey. Israel failed to do that. So God cut off the milk and honey. And then God now is working through churches, but churches now are told to go out, not to stay in one place. We don't, we don't have all the churches of the world. That's where the universal church idea would come in, that we would all move to Winnipeg or to Brandon or somewhere, and all the Christians would be in one place. That's not happening now. Christians are scattered across the world, but Christians are supposed to be a part of a local church. And we are living in a time in this generation, I don't know how many years back it would go, but we're living right now in a time when there are professing Christians who have said that, no, there are no good churches anymore, we're not going to go to church, we're going to meet in our house, we might have a few other people we meet with. We're going to click on this internet site this week, and next week we might listen to somebody else, but we're not going to become a part of a local church because there are no good local churches. And what they are doing is they're calling God a liar because Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and that church is not an invisible body. It's a body. When we look at the book of Acts, we see a body of believers who impacted their world to the point where they turned it upside down. And I believe that God still is able to use Christians who align themselves under the authority of God's word and join together in a true local church, God is still able to turn the world upside down in their area. They claim that in England, in the days of Charles Spurgeon, and Charles Spurgeon has some very severe faults, but they claim that during the time of Charles Spurgeon that, that the pubs had to close because people weren't going there anymore. People were getting saved. Now, how many of them were truly getting saved, but they were at least not drinking anymore, and the pubs were losing money. They closed. And I believe we have the same God today who is able to turn things around if his people will honor him. This week, or this past week, this whole month is known as, the world calls it Pride Month, but it's Shame Month is what it is. But Toronto had their sodomite parade last weekend. And at that parade, apparently, there were people, men, completely nude, except that they had shoes on, apparently, and some of them had hats on. And they were exposing themselves. And foolishly, there were parents with children watching that parade. And some of them are complaining. Why didn't the police arrest those people? Well, yeah, that's a good complaint. That's a legitimate complaint. Why didn't the police arrest them? But why were you there exposing your children to that? They talked about one man. They interviewed him, and he said that that they were walking downtown, they decided to go that way for whatever reason, and his young girl all of a sudden started screaming because she saw these men completely undressed, She was exposed to that. Why was her father taking her there? He doesn't say he's a Christian man and probably isn't. But you know that's the problem we're facing. I agree that there's a lot of wickedness in our world. But we don't have to be there to observe that wickedness. We can speak out against it without being there. And I've said before that if... I had to do it over again as far as our children are concerned. They would never ever see the inside of a public school. They'd never ever see it. They'd have to put me in jail first because they are so wicked that no Christian should have their children in a public school. And we should have known that earlier, but we didn't. And we weren't taught that in church. We came to that decision because we were reading God's word and seeing the wickedness that was in the public school system when our children were young, and we pulled them out. But if I had to do it over, they would have never been in there in the first place. But you see, there are things that we can know, and it behooves Christian pastors, true Christian pastors, to teach their people The whole counsel of God. To inform people of what the word of God says on every issue. Because the word of God addresses every issue that we as people will face. There's nothing new under the sun. As as King Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes. So while we drive cars and fly in jets. And back then they rode camels and had donkeys. The basic thinking of man has not changed. Solomon proves that. He was a man who functioned under his lusts. He had 1,000 wives. I don't know of how many men there are today that have 1,000 wives. There are men that have affairs, but if they have a 1,000 affair, women that they're having affairs with, I don't know that. So Solomon proves that he was just as debased as a lot of men are today. Nothing has changed. Unless a man walks in the fear of God, he's going to be the same as King Solomon. So we can't shake our fingers at King Solomon and say, we're better than you today because we're not. The only thing that makes a difference is if we're saved and walking in humility according to God's word. And so... As we look at church history, we want to look at several things. And so I've got, uh, what have I got here? All the way to uh, F. Yeah, all the way to F. So what is that? A, B, C, D, E, F, six. Six points here under the importance of church history. So A... And some of the things that we're going to be looking at as we look at church history are going to be things that David Cloud has written. David Cloud is a a man who has done a lot of research and a lot of different topics, a lot of different doctrines. And he's done a lot of writing. And he's uh, pretty good in most of everything that he has written. Now, we're not going to take anything that David Cloud or anybody else says and just take it because he wrote it. We're going to look at it and see if it's worthy of repeating. But we're going to use some of his material in what we're doing. So some of the outline I'm giving you now is taken from ideas that he has put down and and that I've read. So A, church history challenges us to follow God's way. Church history challenges us to follow God's way. If you go in your Bibles to... Second Corinthians, chapter nine. Second Corinthians, chapter nine, <clears throat> and verse two. And Paul says, "Therefore I know the forwardness, or the forwardness, sorry, of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago." And your zeal have provoked very many. So Paul here is rehearsing church history to the saints in Corinth and speaking to them of the people in Macedonia and talking about how that as he was traveling from place to place and talking about how other Christians were honoring God and following him faithfully, it was spurring Christians where he was traveling to to likewise Follow God. He gave them examples of others who were following God and saying, you can do it too. It works. And so church history can challenge us to follow God's way. As we look at the past and we look at true churches. Now, there are a lot of churches today. There have been a lot of churches from the past who were teaching heresy. You're not going to learn anything from them except stay away from them. But throughout church history, God has had his remnant. And so that remnant is there to encourage us as those people in their time stood strong and true to God. We can do the same today because we have the same God. And that's the thing that we can be challenged with as we study church history. What was it in those people that caused them to be able to stand in their time And what is it in our time that's going to cause us to stand? So church history is important because it will challenge us to follow God's way. B, studying church history encourages faith in God. It encourages faith in God. As we study church history, we can see... That throughout the history of the churches, God has been faithful to his children. He's always provided a way for his children to be a light in their generation. In our opening prayer, I prayed about the Christians in China. China is a communist country. I read just recently that China is, is supposedly forcing people of religion, whatever religion, to register with a state. Now, I don't know whether that's going to be followed through with true Christians in China or not, whether they're going to actually acknowledge that they're following God and going to register with the state, or they're going to keep meeting in secret and ignore what the state is telling them. But we do know that there are some true Christians in China. We know that Billy Graham went to China two times and he preached publicly in China. We know that Billy Graham was a deceiver. Now, there's a lot of people that would be shocked to hear that. And they'll say, how dare you say that Billy Graham was such a great man of God? No, he wasn't. Again, if you read what people say about themselves... And if you follow them and examine them in the light of God's word, you would know that Billy Graham was not a great man of God. He even said that he wasn't sure that people in the jungles of the Amazon needed to know Jesus Christ to be saved. He had Catholics involved in his crusades. Anybody that came forward during his crusades, they were, they were told... The, the people working for him were told that if someone came forward and said, I'm a Lutheran, they were to guide them. If the, if the person there was not a Lutheran, they were to guide them to a Lutheran person. If they're a, a Pentecostal, guide them to a Pentecostal person so that they could be reconnected with their religion. That's not what salvation teaches. So church history encourages faith in God, not in man, in God. We don't build upon the fathers. That was one of the things that I pointed out to my father, because he was concerned about where I was going spiritually, and he wanted me to read the Mennonite Herald, which was a Uh, magazine put out by the Mennonites and in that magazine people were would write in questions and then they would be answered by some of the higher up officials in the Mennonite circles and most of the time their answer would come from the church fathers not from the bible but from the church fathers and the church fathers were just people And most of the Mennonite church fathers were lost. They didn't take the Bible as their authority. They were very, very compromised, very much pacifist, not just in the fact that they wouldn't take up arms and go and fight, but they were pacifist when it comes to spiritual matters, peacemakers rather than truth followers. And we have experienced that just in the last couple of weeks with some issues that we've been dealing with. How that the Mennonites are still doing that today. They don't take the Bible as their authority. They're scared of causing a rift because they want the people to keep coming to their religious organizations, they want the money to keep flowing, and they're scared to stand for the truth. So they're useless. They're absolutely useless. Thirdly, C, studying church history can help protect us from false doctrine. As I mentioned already earlier, Solomon wrote that there's nothing new under the sun. So we look at the JWs who started out in the 1800s. We look at uh, the Catholics who take their history all the way back to the 3rd century We look at any other group, and there's nothing new under the sun. So even though there may be some new groups starting up today, new in quotation marks, they're not really new, because there's nothing new under the sun. So as we study church history, we can help to see what the different false religions were believing and we can examine what we believe and see, are we being sucked into some of that false teaching? I've been having some correspondence with a man about repentance. And uh, I think basically when it comes to repentance, we're on the same page. But he is very um, hostile in his approaches and his communication in some ways. But I think we're basically, because repentance, I believe that repentance is a turning to God, and 1 Thessalonians 1 9, turning to God from idols. God doesn't sanctify our sin. We need to turn to God and leave our sin behind. Where we may differ, and it may be just because we're not understanding one another, because he seems to be a bit of a fighter. But where we're different is that I don't believe that you need to remember all your past sins and list them off to be forgiven of them. Because nobody remembers all their past sins. But when we are saved, when we are biblically saved, God says that He washes away our sin. We are created as new creatures in Christ. That's what the Bible says new creatures in Christ. The old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. That's what the Bible says. And so, if I am truly saved, that's why the fallacy that, that was around in, oh, I don't know how many years ago now, where they came up with this term, Christian rock, that there's no such a thing. And for those churches that adopted that and said, yeah, okay, we're going to call it Christian. They, they were foolish. They proved they were not true churches because there's no such a thing. I remember when I was a young boy, I can't remember how old I was, maybe around 12, maybe a little younger, when the Beatles came out. And I remember after church one Sunday night, uh, that there was a, a concert in our, in, I guess in Windsor. I'm not even sure, but uh, and some of the people that were a little older than me, they were trying to encourage to get their parents to allow them to go to. Or no, no, that's not true. there was a what it was is that Ed Sullivan came on after our church services, and and some of the the young people a little older than me wanted to get home so they could turn on Ed Sullivan because the Beatles were going to be on his program that evening and the parents didn't know how to handle that I saw that as a young person the church at that time was not teaching right, it wasn't teaching the whole council of God, they were trying to be politically correct and it doesn't work But you see, when we take the Bible as our authority, we can answer all of these different challenges that we face, but there's nothing new under the sun. So, as we study church history, it can protect us from false doctrine. We can see how important it is to build completely and solely on the truth, on the word of God, and reject anything else. D., Studying church history can help us to use biblical discernment. We need biblical discernment. We need to be able to examine things in the light of God's Word. I mentioned already earlier, I mentioned that Billy Graham was a, a dangerous man. Why do I say that? Because I examine everything in the light of God's word. Now there are people who don't agree with me. That's fine. Show me from the Bible where I'm wrong, and I, I need to listen to you. If you can show me from the Bible where I'm wrong, I need to listen to you. But if a person says they don't like me because I'm too forthright, well, that's not a valid, valid argument. Read your Bible. Show me one of the apostles that was a mamby-pamby. Jesus Christ answered the Pharisees directly. He showed the people what the truth was. When the Pharisees came to Matthew 19 and tempted him regarding marriage, he showed them exactly what marriage is right from the beginning. It was very clear. There was no beating around the bush. There was no hem-hawing around. It was very clear. The thing that needs to control us is the spirit of love. Why do we say what we say? Why do we stand where we stand? And as we are finding with this month and the Sodomite agenda, they are claiming that if you don't agree with the Sodomite agenda, you hate them. When the reality is that if you love them, you will never stand with them. You will help them to see that what they're doing is wrong and they can be forgiven if they will repent toward God and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. James Dobson at one time said that, well, sodomy is okay as long as you don't practice it. So you can have the thoughts, according to him, as long as you don't practice it. That's heresy. When God saves a person, those thoughts will be destroyed. That's the power of God's salvation. That's the difference between God's salvation and man's politicizing of just about everything. And so we will know how to have discernment when we study church history and we see the ones that were teaching the truth and what they built themselves on, which is always the word of God. And when we see how different groups that at one time were right and they drifted off. We'll see, as we've already looked at from the book of the Revelation, seven churches and how that Jesus looked at every one of those churches and he pointed out the error in the different churches and what they needed to do to fix it. And as we look at church history, we can see that and see how important it is To always examine what we're standing on and make sure it's on the word of God. E, it can help us to take a more balanced approach to issues. Take a more balanced approach to issues. You know, they talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. When we study church history and when we study it in light of God's word, it can help us to understand what is important and what is not, what is right and what is wrong. It's not a matter of seeing which is the more important issue and which is the less important issue. The type of music, is that more important or less important than which translation of the Bible we use, which version of the Bible we use, which one is more important? They're both the same. The matter of modesty, does that matter more or less than the kind of music that we listen to? They're all the same. And so it helps us to have a balanced approach. We need to make sure we have the right version of the Bible. And I believe everything else is a perversion, and I've been told that that's too strong a statement, but I don't believe it is. And until someone can prove to me that it is, then I'm not going to change it, because that's what they are. They're perverting the gospel. And so when we have the right Bible, then we can know how we should stand regarding music, regarding modesty, regarding whatever it is that there is out there. And we understand that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's that little bit of leaven that spoils the whole lump. That's why when the nation of Israel was preparing for the Passover, they were told to remove all the leaven from their houses. They couldn't have any of it in their houses. And Jesus, or God taught in the Old Testament, that when they were to remember the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for that entire time, There was to be no leaven in their houses. And Jesus tells us that leaven is a picture of sin. And the Apostle Paul does the same. And we're not to have any sin in our lives. Not any. And so that's a tall order. That's an order we must keep and we can keep it. But it's something we need to, again, constantly examine in our lives and in our homes... What have we got in our homes that's a sin that's polluting us and dragging us down? In our own home, we've had to do housecleaning in the past. Not sweeping out the dust, but throwing certain things away. Because we realized that they were not good. They were wrong. They were sin. They were harming our children. We had to get rid of it. <coughs> And we didn't have a grad sale. We burned it. In studying church history, F. F is in studying church history, we learn of men and women of the past who chose to stand true to God. So that's important again. Now, again, some writers talk about heroes of the past. We don't need any heroes. The Bible never uses... The, the, the term heroes in regard to the fact that we should be idolizing uh, Gideon or David or anybody as far as that goes. There are men that God points out that had good character qualities that we can learn from. And that's what we want to look at. How that we can build our lives and be strong in our time. And how we can point people to the God of the Bible. That's the one that every individual needs to be in touch with. Every individual needs to know the true God. And they need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. That's the one that we build on. Not any man. And then the... Yeah, that's the last one, F I said, yeah? Right, okay. So then the second point we have is the important considerations when studying church history. There are some things we need to keep in mind as we study church history. So A there, and there we have uh, four, no we have five, six, six again, okay. A, there are limitations in our study of church history. The reason being that in the past, some of the church records have been destroyed. And we need to understand that the scriptures, the Bible says that, that God would preserve his word from this generation and forever. So none of the scriptures have been destroyed. When we look at church history past the time of the New Testament, that's not the scripture's. And so we're not going to always have the details on every generation because it's been destroyed. The Catholics burned a lot of books. They burned a lot of writings that didn't agree with the Catholic religion. They tried to burn Bibles too, but they also tried to burn other books. I read of, uh, I think it's Switzerland, but I'm not sure which country now, where they... Uh, there's always some people that want to challenge the, the norms. And I don't agree with taking anybody's uh, books and having a public bonfire and burning other religious books because you just stir people up and it doesn't help. I do believe in destroying false teachings But you don't have to go and make a public announcement. We're going to have a public burning of the Quran, for instance. And this is what is upsetting the Muslims right now because this is their special several days of celebration. And some country is now allowing for the burning of the Quran. And, of course, the Muslims are upset. That has nothing to do with the country in the first place. You know, if someone wants to give... A Christian, a Quran, and the Christian says, Okay, I'll take that, and the only reason for taking it would be to destroy it so that someone else doesn't get it. But you don't have to go to CJOB and say, I'm gonna burn the Quran tomorrow at noon. I want all the people to come out and watch me burn it. That that's foolishness. Just destroy it. So but there are things in, in church history about true ...religious groups that we don't have much information on because it was destroyed. Secondly, B, sometimes a group will take on the name of its principal founder. So we have the Novatians, for instance, Donatists and the Paulicians and that. And sometimes they didn't necessarily give themselves the name... ...but the people around them said, oh, you're following that man... ...so we're going to call you one of his followers... And that was done sometimes as a good thing, but sometimes it was done as a bad thing because they tried to label... The enemy always wants to discredit the truth. And so the enemy would label the person, oh, you're a politician, and then they would say, you're a cult follower. You see, and that's one thing that we want to be careful of. That's why I tell people often that you don't need to follow me just because I say something. I need to show you from the Bible why it's important. And you need to know it's from God's word. That's why you're going to follow it, not because I said so. We have to be looking beyond man. Our authority is God, not man. And that's very important. That's something that we want to make sure that it's clear in the scriptures or from the scriptures that The reason that we hold to the things that we hold to is because the Bible says so. We looked at the Baptist distinctives over the last several weeks, and every time, every distinctive we looked at, we looked at a scripture and several scriptures, and we said, here's why we believe this, because the Bible teaches it. And that's what we have to do. And so as we look at church history and as we examine different things, we're going to look at, okay, These people were right, and here's why they were right. These people were wrong, and here's why they were wrong. And as we look at that, we can look at ourselves again. And are we building on the truth? See, in studying church history, we are reminded of the importance of being independent. We call ourselves an independent Baptist church. So someone can look at our church and they can go and look at the one in Portage, the one in Winkler, the one in uh, in uh, Brandon, wherever they want to look. And they can try to draw us all in that we're all the same, but we're independent. Now, the fact is that if we are a true church and if the church in Portage is a true church and the one in Winkler and Brandon and wherever you want to go, if they're a true church there should be similarities. Modesty should be something that should be clearly identified in any one of our churches. Our music standards should be very similar. Our Bible should be the same. So there are things that we should be similar in But there also is the reality that we're independent. So I'm not accountable. I don't have to answer for what's going on in any other church. I need to look at what's going on here. And we're not patterning ourselves after some other church. We're patterning ourselves after the Bible. If there are other churches that are also doing the same thing, then we can fellowship with them. But our authority is the word of God. And that's something that is important to understand as well. We're independent. D, within some of the groups of the past, there were some overlapping things. And we've already touched on that with with C, the fact that we'll have the same Bible. That should be a standard in any true church. When we see things happening like the emergent movement, which is moving into independent fundamental Baptist churches, we can see that we need to separate from them. That's why we took the name fundamental out of our name because it doesn't really define who we are. Because the fundamentals are just some of the truths of the Bible. But we believe that all of the Bible is important. And so we have changed that in our name. So there will be some overlapping. There will be some things that we do that will be, should be consistent with other churches. Okay, that's a good thing. But there could well be, and there are, I believe there are, things that we do that are going to be different from other churches. And again, I'm not ashamed of that, but we take the Bible as our authority. E, it's important to be able to trace the origins of each group. Or sorry, it's not important. So, for instance, we have within the Baptist camp, we have Baptist Briders. And Baptist Briders believe that me, as the pastor of this church, I need to be able to trace my baptism back to John the Baptist. So the man that baptized me needs to be able to trace his baptism back to John the Baptist, and that way we have a succession that makes me a legitimate pastor. That's an impossibility. We know that within Catholicism, the popes claim to, to trace their history back to Peter. That's an impossibility. They can't do that. There's no way that they can do that, but that's what they claim. And it'd be foolish for any Baptist to say, well, I'm a legitimate Baptist preacher because I can trace my baptism all the way back to John the Baptist. I can tell who my Uh, the man that baptized me where he was baptized and he can say where that and so on that's foolishness. F. It is important to note that we cannot trace our history back to the first century churches. We cannot. We can believe the same thing that the Bible teaches but we can't say that in fact, we know that our church started in, what year was it? 2017? So, you know, we can't trace We can't. I'll admit that right here. We cannot trace our history back from some other church and all the way back to the first century. Can't do it. Does that make us an illegitimate church? No. <clears throat> What makes us a true church is if we follow what the Bible says. That's what makes us a true church. So the third thing we want to look at, some terms that are going to be used, some terms that are going to be used. That's point number three. Heretic, the word heretic, that's number A, letter A. The Bible describes a heretic as someone who rejects the truth and develops, and teaches a false doctrine. That's a biblical heretic. We need to separate from biblical heretics. However, the Catholics, as we look at church history, the Catholics called people who believed the Bible heretics. So, therefore, we need to understand who's making the the description here that's important so we can't just say the word heretic is always used in the right sense we need to understand that and use it properly B the word bishop or the baptism of children or the monastery those three things are lumped together in one the bishop we've already looked at what is a bishop in our studies that we're doing in our Filipino services a bishop is a pastor is an elder same person, different, different part of the person's office. And as the bishop, he's the overseer. And so in the Bible, again, the bishop is the pastor, is the elder. But in Mennonite history, for instance, a bishop is a hierarchical term. So you have a bishop, you have elders and you have a pastor. It's not biblical. So again, as we look at bishops and as we look at the different religions and how they use that word, we need to understand, is it a biblical way, a use, or is it a secular use? The baptism of children. Well, infant baptism is not scriptural. The Catholics are the ones that introduced it. Other religions are following it. United Church and others, they follow it infant baptism is not biblical but to say that the baptism of children is not biblical now we need to be careful because if a child is of age and understands biblical salvation and gets saved and then is baptized based on confession of their faith there's nothing wrong with that that's not infant baptism but it is child baptism But it's nothing wrong with it if that child understands salvation. Because that's the criteria for being baptized. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. You need to repent to God and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And a monastery, again. A monastery is a Catholic place where monks get together and they study their traditions. But there are people, even to this day, who think that we are meeting in a monastery right now. Tomorrow morning, my wife and I are going to Notre Dame to have a service in a retirement home that's run by the Catholics. And they look at what we're going to do there tomorrow as the Mass. But we're not having a Mass there tomorrow we're going there to preach the gospel but in their minds it's a mass and we have mentioned that before when we were there we're not having a mass this is not a mass this is not a way to get salvation this is a way to teach you how to be saved and to know the peace of god in your heart not through doing something but through trusting in the lord jesus christ so again we need to define the terms And then, thirdly, see biblical separation and apostasy. We need to understand that biblical separation is true. It's necessary in the Bible. But the Catholic separation, where they would separate from us because we, in their minds, are heretics, that's wrong. So again, as we look at the matter of separation, we want to make sure that it's biblical separation and what is apostasy. And again, the Catholics, the Lutheran, the, the Mennonites, they would consider us as a being apostate. We are falling away from their traditional religion. But apostasy in the Bible is a falling away from God. And we can identify that again by the Word of God. And there are many groups today who claim that they are following God, even though you can't identify what they're doing with the Bible because the majority of religions today don't accept the Bible as their authority. It's just a guidebook. But if you don't like it, you can scratch it out and change it, like my my wife's grandfather did. No, great-grandfather. He would read portions of the Bible, and didn't like it, so he'd scratch it out and write in the margin what he believed. He knows better today but that's what he did. But you see, we don't want to do that. We want to take the Bible as the word of God. And if we're going to scratch something out, we're going to scratch out what we believe and replace it with the truth. But we're not going to scratch out what's in the Bible. So that's an introduction to church history. We'll, we'll look at that a little more in the future. But uh, that's, where we're gonna, that's where we're coming from. And that's what we're going to build upon in the next little while. Just to help us to understand why we are independent Baptists, why we're not Mennonites, why we're not Lutheran, why we're not Catholic, whatever it is, why are we independent Baptists? Why are we not Iglesia Ni Cristo? So we want to look at these things and see the importance of believing the right thing and seeing how people in the past believed the right thing and that we can do it today too. We can be blessed in trusting in God and following him and glorifying him. So if you're listening today and you're not saved, that's the key. Be saved. You don't get baptized in order to be saved. You don't join a church in order to be saved. You get saved. You turn to God in repentance you trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, and then you join a good church. You get baptized and join a good church based on your confession of faith. That's how it works. That's what the Bible teaches. It's important to be a part of a true church. Very important. God says so. You can't grow properly outside of a true local church because that's God's design and you can't make up your own rules I can't make up my own rules we follow what God says he's God and if he's God in your life then you need to follow what he says to be blessed of him let's pray together Heavenly Father we're thankful for thy word we're thankful for the truthfulness of thy word for the privilege we have of studying thy word and as we look at church history that we might be encouraged and strengthened and be able to help others to see the importance of trusting in the true God and following the true God and not being compromisers. The truth is extremely important. No one knows that better than thyself. We have a book, Thy Word, which is truth. We need to follow that book. So I pray that we would honor Thee and glorify Thy name, that Thy will be accomplished in our lives, and we can be a help to others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.